Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Pharmacy Hot Topics, where we sit down with content matter experts and discuss what's currently top of mind in the world of pharmacy. My name is Vicki Basilega, and joining me for today's episode is Drs. Kathy Elephant, Renee Robinson, and Doctor of Pharmacy student Mary Spadafore from Idaho State University, Anchorage, and Meridian campuses to discuss drug-drug interactions associated with oral COVID-19 therapies. Welcome all, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you. So let's kick it off with a pretty basic question. Why do we in general, just see drug-drug interactions. Each year, an average of 50 novel drug products are added to over the 20,000 FDA-approved prescription and over-the-counter medications. With medical knowledge doubling almost every 73 days, it is impossible for providers to stay current in the midst of this knowledge explosion, especially with the rapidly changing environment surrounding COVID-19 prevention and management. Adding to this challenge is polypharmacy, the simultaneous use of multiple drugs at the same time, further increasing the patient's risks of having a drug-drug interaction. And you ever thought about it being doubling every 73 days? That's kind of crazy. Yeah, it is. What is the primary mechanism for drug-drug interactions? And in this context, because we know there's a lot, what are we looking for with those with oral COVID-19 therapies? Both pharmacokinetic and pharmacodynamic properties of drugs may be altered when more than two drugs are administered to a patient. Resulting drug-drug interactions generally happen by one of two mechanisms. One, an additive effect when used in combination, that being at the receptor level or at the physiochemical incompatibility level. Or two, when one drug changes the metabolism of another drug via induction or inhibition of metabolism. An inducer will speed up metabolism and decrease drug levels, while an inhibitor will slow down metabolism and increase drug levels. A core group of six isoenzymes have been found to be responsible for the majority of all drug metabolism, those enzymes being 1A2, 2B6, 2C9, 2C19, 2D6, and 3A4. However, it is important to note that the effects are not an all-or-none phenomenon, but can be varying from weak to strong, and is further complicated by known and unknown genetic factors that influence the rate of drug metabolism. People can be slow versus rapid metabolizers of certain medications, as well as drug characteristics. For example, a prodrug is a medication that needs to be activated to have an effect. So Renee, why is it so important to share drug-drug interaction information about COVID-19 outpatient medications? So Paxlovid is a known CYP3A4 inhibitor, and it has been shown to be very effective in preventing hospitalizations. However, individuals may be resistant or hesitant to take Paxlovid with their other medications for fear of a drug-drug interaction. There are many common medications that rely on the CYP3A4 enzyme for metabolism. For instance, concurrent use of Paxlovid is contraindicated with amiodarone, clozapine, flaconide, lurisidone, quinidine, and rivaroxaban. Concurrent use of Paxlovid and carbamazepine, phenytoin, rifampin, and or St. John's wort is contraindicated if taken in the past 14 days. However, a number of common medications can be safely co-administered with minor drug adjustments and or additional monitoring. So it sounds like a number of common medications that people use every day interact with COVID-19 outpatient medications. Can you review for us a couple of the commonly used medications and talk about how therapy should be modified? Commonly used cardiovascular medications that should be used in caution and or may require doses adjustment with the concurrent packs of administration include amlodipine. For amlodipine, the dose should be reduced by 50% for seven days. Atorvastatin, hold the atorvastatin dose for two days and reduce the dose to 10 milligrams daily. You are okay to resume the patient's usual dose two days after Paxlovid therapy is complete. Opidogrel use is based on time since acute coronary syndrome intervention. 
If the AC intervention is less than one month, please use an alternative COVID-19 agent. If the time frame is between one and three months, consider switching clopidogrel to prosurogrel, especially if the patient is less than 75 years of age, weighs more than 60 kilos, and has no history of strokes. If it has been greater than three months since the ACS intervention, continue clopidogrel with aspirin during Paxlovid therapy, or if not taking aspirin, switch to prosurogrel and resume clopidogrel two days after therapy. If the patient's on deltiazem, philodipine, or nifedipine, reduce the dose by 50% or take the medication every other day. You are okay to restart the usual calcium channel blocker dose two days after Paxlovid therapy is complete. However, you may consider continuing the usual dose if the patient is at a low risk for bradycardia or hypotension. Lovastatin and simvastatin stop medication at least 12 hours before starting Paxlovid, and you may restart the statin therapy five days after completing the Paxlovid therapy. These concerns are related to liver toxicity and rhabdomyolysis with the concurrent medication use. If a patient's on rosuvastatin, hold and restart the medication two days after completing Paxlovid or reduce rosuvastatin dose to 10 milligrams daily. Again, normal dose is okay to resume two days after therapy is complete. Lastly, tamsulosin reduce dose to 0.4 milligrams daily or dose every other day if patient is on a higher dose and at increased risk of urinary retention. Currently, no dose adjustment is required for fluvastatin, metoprolol, or prevastatin. Commonly used mental health medications that should be used with caution and or may require dosage adjustment with concurrent Paxlovid administration include aripiprazole. It is recommended to reduce the aripiprazole dose by 50% and resume the usual dose two to three days after completing Paxlovid. However, you will want to monitor for confusion, restlessness, and sedation with concurrent use. Buspirone should be held during Paxlovid therapy and restarted two to three days after completing therapy, or you can reduce the Buspirone dose to 2.5 milligram daily if the patient's dose is 20 to 30 milligrams per day. Chlorazepate and flurazepam should be held during Paxlovid therapy and restarted two to three days after completing Paxlovid due to those medications' long half-lives. If additional anxiolytic therapy is needed, suggest using lorazepam, oxazepam, or temazepam at usual doses. Risperidone should have a doses reduction by 25 to 50% during Paxlovid therapy to accommodate for the increased area under the curve, or AUC, and then you can resume the patient's usual dose two days after completing Paxlovid therapy. Avoid co-administration in patients receiving the long-acting injectable form of risperidone. It is also recommended that providers and patients monitor for confusion, sedation, and the extrapyramidal symptoms that may occur during co-administration. Triazolam and Zolpidem should be held and restarted two days after completing Paxlovid therapy. If Zolpidem co-administration is required, the Zolpidem dose should be reduced by 50% and the patient should be monitored for excessive sedative effects. Currently, no dosage adjustment is required for bupropion, paroxetine, or ziprazidone. However, for ziprazidone, monitor for dizziness, extrapyramidal symptoms, and sedation with concurrent use with Paxlovid. Lastly, for patients with diabetes receiving oral therapies such as glipizide, glimepramide, and metformin, no dosage change is recommended. However, if your patient is taking gliburide, those concentrations may be increased by concurrent use of Paxlovid, and those patients should be advised to monitor for hypoglycemia. If present, these effects should 
disappear by three days, but no dosage adjustment is recommended. Well, Mary and Kathy, that was a great overview of some of the more common drugs. Kathy, like you said a little bit earlier, new stuff is coming out. It's doubling every 73 days. So where can people find the most up-to-date information about known and potential COVID-19 outpatient medication drug-drug interactions? Evidence-based medicine involves the conscientious, judicious, and reasonable use of available medical evidence, like peer-reviewed journals, published research, and established clinical guidelines to guide clinical decisions. Drug-drug interactions are often derived from the primary evidence-based literature or predicted based on priori drug knowledge. However, this knowledge may not be immediately available or easily translatable into clinical practice. Most providers, especially those in underserved and or rural communities, lack necessary resources and support to easily access and utilize available information. A few of the relevant resources we would like to suggest you look at are the NIH COVID-19 Treatment Guidelines webpage, which highlights a number of drug-drug interactions with Paxlovid, the Liverpool Interaction Drug Structure, which utilizes drug-drug interactions and provides recommendations for therapy, and lastly, the ID Society Practice Guidelines for management of drug-drug interactions. Thanks, Mary. For our listeners, all of these resources that you'll hear our experts speaking about will be available in the show notes. Renee, what are the next steps to support information sharing, especially considering that COVID-19 is not going away anytime soon? Great question. So the long-term goal of our proposed INTERACT kind of needs-based training program, in which INTERACT stands for Interaction Education Focused on Real-Time Assessment, Data Collection, and Timely Training, is really to better prepare rural healthcare providers to provide safe and effective COVID outpatient treatment, improving healthcare service utilization, and health outcomes of patients diagnosed with COVID-19. We plan to pursue funding to collect and utilize both qualitative and quantitative data to understand and address current drug-drug interactions and understand healthcare providers' needs in both rural and underserved communities. We also plan to develop and provide focused, high-quality, case-based drug-drug interaction training to healthcare providers using the ECHO model to improve safety and efficacy of COVID-19 outpatient treatment. And for those unfamiliar with the ECHO model, the ECHO model of information kind of dissemination really involves kind of utilization of a kind of didactic component or a lecture small component that is provided via Zoom, then a case-based discussion with a panel of experts that kind of goes over something that individuals within the community have proposed as a question they would like answered and offering that last little component, which is kind of a question and answer with community members, usually across the state for state ECHO programs, but can also be more national as well. And lastly, we also plan to assess the effectiveness of the interact program to see if utilization of this kind of ECHO model of training can actually improve kind of drug-drug interaction, kind of education utilization by providers across the country. That sounds like a great program. So that's all the time we have today. I want to thank Renee, Kathy, and Mary for joining us to discuss drug-drug interactions with COVID-19 outpatient therapy. Before I go, I wanted to let listeners know that all the reference, again, will be found in the show notes and mention that anyone can also access the ASHP COVID-19's Resource Center found at ashp.org backslash COVID-19. This is, serves as a clearinghouse for more information on COVID-19 for pharmacy leaders, clinicians, and resources for patients. Finally, thank you to all of our members who are caring for patients during this challenging time. ASHP will continue to provide you with the most up-to-date resources for your patients' education, well-being, and resilience. Subscribe to at ASHP Official for more great content. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.